Good morning. I'm Pastor Jacob Aranza, the senior pastor of Our Savior's Church. 21 years ago, my beautiful wife and I began planting Our Savior's Church, and now six campuses spread all across Acadiana, and on behalf of all of our amazing pastors from New Iberia all the way to Opelousas, we welcome you to church at home. Last week, we completed a series with Miss Michelle and Heidi Reisner and an amazing series called Hope Has a Name. Now, for the next three weeks, I'd like to take you on another journey of hope. It's called the hope of heaven. That's right. In the next three weeks, I want to talk about three things that I think will help you. The first one is, is heaven real? Is heaven real? The second one is, what is heaven like? And the third one is, how do I get to heaven? Is heaven real? It's today's message. Why I feel like this is so pertinent for so many is that each day as you turn on the news, it doesn't matter if it's the radio, it doesn't matter if it's print, it doesn't matter if it's Instagram news or or even the normal major networks. Each day, over and over, they begin with this count. Five more died in this state, 50 more in this state, 200 more in this state. As a matter of fact, it begs a question, an important one. What happens to every one of us when we die? What is happening to each one of these individuals, the more than 80,000 that has now passed away of the COVID-19 virus? And what happens to the many who are passing away from other ailments and diseases across the world? Here's a better question. What's going to happen to you and to me when we die? 100% of everyone listening to me right now, including the one speaking, will one day enter eternity. What will happen to you when you enter eternity? A recent survey revealed that 80% of Americans believe in an afterlife and 76% believe in an actual place called heaven. As I prepared for this series, I came in an astounding revelation as I studied that I knew more about Destin, Florida, where I vacation each summer, than I did about the place I was going to spend eternity called heaven. So why should I believe in heaven? Let me begin by giving you four simple reasons in our introduction today. Number one, it's mentioned over 600 times in the word of God. Now, this isn't just the Bible. It is the words of God. And anything that God would mention so much that you could almost think about it twice Every day, the entire year is significant and important. Here's the second reason. Jesus spoke of it. In John 14, Jesus was in the last weeks of his ministry. His disciples kept hearing him say things like, I'm leaving, I'm going. And these who had left everything to follow him now felt like they were being left themselves. And Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 
the one who left heaven to come to earth to give his life that we might be born again and be brought into relationship with God said, when I leave here, I came to bring you someplace. And when I leave here, I am preparing a place to bring you to. Here's the third reason. We were made to live forever. That's right. Have you ever been to a funeral, a home going of someone in their late 80s or 90s or possibly even 100? People are crying. People are broken. People are hurting. Why? Why when someone lives such a long life and even many such a good life, why would someone be dying at that moment or crying at that moment while someone is dying who lives such a long life? Well, it's simple. We were made to live forever. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them to live forever. And every time someone goes into eternity, even if it's in their 90s, we know there's a yearning for more. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. As a matter of fact, Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes 11.3, he writes this, he has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing for which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. In other words, you and I were made by the eternal for the eternal. Here's the fourth introductory thought. Wouldn't it be a bummer if this was it? I mean, wouldn't it be a bummer when this, this is it? When I was a young man, I used to have plenty of time. No resources and few opportunities. Come on, you remember those days. You sit around and you would say things that you could never imagine saying now. I'm bored. I don't know what I'd do. Man, I wish I had the money to do this. Boy, I'd love to go do this. Man, I don't have the resources. To do it. I don't know the people to get there. And then you begin life. You get a job. You, you, you get a wife. You have children. You, you begin to grow. You get in responsibilities. You have bills. You have tuition. You have school. You have lunch payments. You have all of these responsibilities, car payments, house payments. And then finally, your children grow older. Some of you know this. And now all the resources that used to go providing for your family and taking care of your family, you now get to prepare and save for the latter season of your life. And now you have the resources and the relationships, but sometimes you don't have any more energy or much desire. Isn't it amazing that we spend our lives gathering and acquiring only at the end to know it's not going to last. We leave it to someone else. Wouldn't it be a bummer if this is all there was? Now, I want to give you four realities of heaven. Here's the first one. It is the place of our spiritual future. That's right. Even if you live to be 100 on earth, I think there's like a 150 or 200 people that are over 100 in the United States. But even if you live to be over 100 years old, the time is going to come where you're going to die. And as your body gets frail and your body gets older, you're reminded you weren't made to live here much longer. 
Paul says it like this, but there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of the high heaven. We're waiting for the revival of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our master, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul says it like this. We inwardly sigh as we live with these physical tents, longing to be put on a new body for our life in heaven. That's right. Our life in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We are temporarily living here, but we are citizens of another world called heaven. Secondly, it's the place of our eternal fruit, our eternal reward. That's right. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, Paul says this, there is a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me. And I know that my Lord will reward me on the day of his righteous judgment. And this crown is not only waiting for me, but for all who love and long for his unveiling. It doesn't matter where you live right now. It doesn't matter what experiences you have. It doesn't matter what you might be going through that you think it would be great if I had this opportunity or that opportunity. You are in a temporary circumstance, but one day as a citizen of heaven, you are going to be before Jesus being rewarded for every act of kindness, every act of forgiveness, every gift that you gave, every tithe that you sowed, every gift to the poor. There is someone who is keeping account in heaven and he will reward you. The Bible says one day, everything that's done in secret will be rewarded openly. Matthew 10, 42, Jesus says it like this. And if you even give a cup of cold water to one of the least of these, my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Jesus went on to say in Matthew 6, 20, instead of stockpiling heavenly treasures here for yourselves that can be stolen from you, send them up into a place so they can never rust, decay, or lose their value. We have the opportunity as believers to stockpile treasure in heaven where our reward is. Not a reward that will last 20 years, 50 years. Not that lifetime achievement award that somebody gets for doing something great after living to be 70 or 80. An eternal reward that will never rust or decay. Here's the third reality of heaven. It's the place of my loved ones and my spiritual family. First, let me address the issue of spiritual family. What does that mean, Pastor Jacob? You know, many of you, just like me, have people that you are closer to because of your faith together that you share in Christ. And as you walk together on your spiritual journey, you're closer to them than you are your own flesh and blood. Those who bear your last name and even look like you. Jesus taught us this in Matthew 12, 47, when they came and said, Jesus, your mother and your sister and your brothers are here to see you. Listen to what Jesus said. And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mothers and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. But then there's also loved ones. Your godly mother, grandmother, maybe your godly father, grandfather, aunt, uncle, a relative that invested and prayed deeply for you 
to be what God made you and called you to be. Paul writes and tells us that those people are in heaven looking down on us as though they were in a stadium and we are now playing the game of life and fighting our fight and running our race. And here's what he writes to us in Hebrews. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses encircling us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin which we so easily fall into. Do you know that our loved ones are watching? Your godly mother's watching. Your godly grandmother's watching. Maybe your godly wife. Maybe a child has gone to be with the Lord. They're watching. They're watching you. Here's the fourth reality of heaven. It's the place of my spiritual father. It's a place of my spiritual father. I can remember uh, one of one of my boys was a was a pretty good athlete. Matter of fact, at, at at a particular point in time, he may have been one of the best hockey players as a child in the entire region. I I, I loved watching him. I was not very familiar with hockey before he got involved. I can remember the countless times when I would take him to practice, and I can remember the times one in particular where he had a, a high fever and. His mother said, he can't go and play in the game. And the coach is calling me going, we need him. He's got to be here. So as soon as his mom went to take a nap, I grabbed him and grabbed his things and we snuck out the back door. He arrived and we, we were at the game. And I can remember looking at him and I going, hey, you're here. Boy, you better not let anything happen to you. But you're going to have the game winning goal. And I can remember that game. It was, it was a tight game against one of the better teams. And I can remember in that game, he had a number of, of, of goals, but, but at halftime, I looked at him and said, you are going to have the game-winning goal. And right near the end of the game, he is skating down. There's a breakaway. He goes and, and he scores. And the first thing that he does is he turns around and he looks back at me to see my reaction. No matter what he did, he wanted to know what his father thought. You see, Jesus came and he gave his life because the father had lost the creation that he had created. And he came to bring us back into relationship with his father. In Revelations chapter 3, 5, Jesus says that one day he's going to bring us to the father. And listen to what he says. Conquerors will march in the victory parade. Their names indelible in the book of life. And I will lead them up and present them by name to my father and his angels. He will be saying, Father, this, this is who I died for. This is who you sent me for. What an amazing day that's going to be. You say, Pastor, I... I don't really know about all that. I mean, heaven kind of seems like a thing that preachers talk about because it kind of gives them job security. And Christians do that because it makes them feel good about the difficulties of life. Well, the second part may be true. Well, we weren't made to live here forever. So there are constantly things that remind us the pain of earth 
that there is still a pleasure of heaven yet to come. But I want to invite you to the bedside of some of the most famous believers and unbelievers of the last 300 years. The first one is a famous atheist named Altamont, who spent much of his life living immorally and convincing others that their faith was a joke. At his deathbed, he said, my principles have poisoned my friends. My extravagance has made my son a beggar and my unkindness has murdered my wife. Is there still yet another hell? Thomas Paine, the famous writer of 200 years ago, and he was a renowned atheist, wrote a book called The Age of Reason, in which he caused many to turn away from their faith. At his death, here is his final words. I would give the worlds if I had them to have not written my book. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? And then, of course, the famous atheist Voltaire, probably the most famous atheist of the last several hundred years. He actually made this statement. In 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice it took the 12 apostles to rear. The nurse at his bedside at his time of death said, For all the money in Europe, I will never go by the bedside of another atheist when they die. His dying words were, I am abandoned by God and by man. I'll give you half of all I have just to live six months longer. Yes, it does matter where you spend eternity. It does matter where you go when you die. Now listen to the words of some of the most renowned men in history that were believers. William Shakespeare, the literary giant, said on his death, I commend my soul into the hand of God, hoping assuredly and believing through the only merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made partaker of his everlasting life. Michelangelo, the famous sculptor, the Sistine Chapel, and so many other great things, said this at his death, I die in full faith of Jesus Christ and in the firm hope of a better life. Charles Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church and the great hymn writer, said at his death, Come, my dearest Jesus. The nearer, the more precious, the more welcome. I cannot contain it. David Brainerd, the famous missionary, one of the first to the Indians in America in the 1700s said, at his death, he will come, he will not tarry. I will soon be in glory. I will soon be with God and his angels. The famous Catholic Saint Francis of Assisi simply uttered these three words, Welcome, Sister Death. D.L. Moody, the Billy Graham of the 17th century said, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling me. Elizabeth Browning, the famous American poet, simply said, it is beautiful. Are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for heaven? You say, Pastor, I, I really would like to be, but, but I'm, I'm kind of a science person. I, I kind of like, like I really need proof. I'm glad 
you think that. Because I want to introduce you briefly to someone I'm going to introduce you to deeply next week. When is heaven not only real, but what is it like? Is Dr. Eben Alexander, a Harvard neurologist, who actually was dead for an extended period of time, and there had an encounter with God and came back to share it with us. You see, science and technology are catching up with theology. God is now allowing men through what they've discovered through science to discover what's been plainly seen in this book for years. So let me ask you, are you ready for eternity? You say, Pastor, how, how can I be? How can I be able to say things like I heard these men say who had such great faith and hope and courage at the end of their lives? Well, Jesus told us how. In John chapter 3, he said, unless a man or woman is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless a man or woman is born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you, have you been born again? You say, well, pastor, I've been christened, been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. My birthday's June the 17th, but my spiritual birthday's the week before Easter, 1971, when I prayed with an African-American counselor in a chemistry lab in the inner city of Houston. That day, the old Jacob died. And at 14 and a half years old, a new one was raised from the dead. One who had been separated in his relationship with God by sin had now been reunited in relationship to the Father through Jesus Christ. That day was my spiritual birthday. Have you had a spiritual birthday? You say, Pastor, how can I have one? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. Someone was going to die for your sin. Either he did or you will. Thirdly, C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. Today, maybe you'd like to be born again. Can I pray with you at the beginning of this series called The Hope of Heaven for you to make your reservation, to begin your relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If that's what you'd like to do to be born again today, would you bow and pray with me right where you are? I just want you to repeat these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, Come on, say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Come on now, say it with me. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you prayed to be born again with Pastor Jacob, congratulations. We are so excited for you. And we'd love to help you with your next step. All you have to do is text Connect OSC to the number 41411. And somebody from our team is going to reach out to you and help you on your next step. I also want to say thank you again for your continued faithful giving and generosity during this crucial time. We need you now more than ever. If you haven't had the opportunity to give, you can text OSC Family to the number 77977 or go to OurSaviorsChurch.com and click Give. Or you can always mail it to the address on your screen. Don't forget, you can join us tonight uh, for Unite 714 on Facebook Live as we're praying together as the body of Christ worldwide to break the back of COVID-19. Thanks again. God bless. And we'll see you next week for the hope of heaven.